Hello, so welcome to another edition of my podcast. I have a very uh, important, special guest with me today. This is my martial arts teacher, uh, long-term, long-time teacher, long-time friend, Coxenum Art Mason. So he teaches um, an Olympic martial art of Hapkido that he created over the years with his sons. Which I've been uh, honored to train it and, and learn from him. So we talked about um, a couple of weeks ago about doing a podcast to just uh, talk about his art and be able to share more of it. So he's with me here now. So how are you doing, sir? Doing well. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to do these things. I enjoy them. What can I say? That's true. And you're always an excellent uh, speaker, sir. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so let's talk about... Um, Let's go into like what your background is, what your background in the martial arts is, sir. Well, I started uh, in formal martial arts training in, on November 10th, 1984, which is a lot longer ago than I'd like to remember. <laughs> I, I no longer say it's 30 some odd years. I'm just saying 40 now because it's close enough. Um, it was something I'd wanted to do since I was a child, but... Uh, just didn't have the resources to do it till I, I got a job at Chrysler in 1984 and I could afford to go do it. So I did. So you were about 22 or 24? 24. So? Yeah, 24. Um, before that, I boxed and I wrestled in high school. Uh, I was a good boxer. I was an average wrestler. Uh, but I always had a fascination with anything that had to do with martial arts or what was then considered to be sport martial arts. It's, of course, very different today. So let's, let's talk about your root martial art. What is your root martial art? The actual original thing that we learned was Kuksul Hapkido. Uh, but it was called Taekwondo. Because uh, our my first Grandmaster instructor, Grandmaster Chung Won Oh out of Kitchener, Ontario, was a Hapkido master who got involved in the... Uh, early 1970s wave of Taekwondo coming over when General Choi had defected to Canada from North Korea. And they were all friends and they formed the, uh, he was part of the forming of the International Taekwondo Federation and all that stuff. They had a falling out years later, but nothing else is new when it comes to the, the martial arts and falling outs. So True. So who were your teachers for your root art? Uh, Master Philip Hollihan. I spent 16 years with him. He was uh, Mr. O's protege, basically. Fantastic instructor, brilliant martial artist. Have the world of respect for the man. Uh, he was like a father to me in many ways, even though there wasn't that much difference between our ages. He's got maybe like six, seven years of, on me, something like that. Um, old world instructor. You know, it was all brutal training and it was i would never i would never advise anybody to do it but i would never i don't regret doing it so you say old school training so for those who would not understand i know what old school training is can you define that for us brutality um we used to stand in a forward bow or a walking stance whatever you want to call it when we were doing foundations and it was not uncommon for him to come over and punch you and they punch you unannounced in the gut to make sure that your body was rigid and tense and ready to go. Um, uh, he would uh, swing sticks at you when you were jumping. We had to jump tables, chairs, anything else, just hardcore training. 
brutal on the body, lots of injuries, but you didn't miss class for injuries. You taped things up and you went to class. Uh, it was not the way that the Asian masters actually taught, but it was the way they believed that the Americans wanted to be taught. So that's the way they taught the American GIs was very military-like rather than very, um, well, I don't even know how to, well, I don't even have words for it. It's taught differently in, in the real schools, for lack of a better word, in, in different parts of Asia. What can you share about your experiences coming up the ranks, training? It was a, quite a love-hate relationship, really. Uh, I refused to quit. Nothing was going to make me quit. Uh, I was a, a well-above-average hockey player, and I got sick of the BS in hockey, so I quit. Uh, I was a good boxer. I probably could have been a great boxer because I had a sense to it. Uh, I have advanced my, my father and... His brothers, well, I had a brother, an uncle who was a Golden Gloves fighter. Um, so, I mean, the, the ability to do it was there. But um, when it came to boxing, I suffered from something I call Jerry Quarry syndrome. Jerry Quarry was a 60s, early 70s fighter who was either great or stunk. And that was me. If I wasn't in the mood, it didn't go well. Uh, so boxing, I, I ended up quitting boxing. I stopped playing hockey. But I decided when I got into martial arts, I was going to be a black belt. And that was all there was to it. So I refused to quit. Let's ask. Let's talk about your teaching. So, what made you decide to teach? Because you went from um, being a student to teaching at a, um, you were, I think, assistant black belt when you started teaching, weren't you? No, I was actually a green belt. Green belt. Uh, I had my first school at assistant black belt. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, I had uh, just after I turned green belt. Uh, Master Philip made me uh, do the warm-ups. And I discovered very quickly that was the best I ever did doing the warm-ups was when I had to call them out. And I was being corrected as to how I was doing the call-out, of course. And then I like I stretched further, I pushed harder, and then I started to realize that it, you know if I was helping out in the school, I would be better myself for doing it. So when he asked me if I would go out to uh, LaSalle, Ontario to help with help the black belt out there with that branch school, I jumped at it because I knew I would get better because of it. And it was just purely selfish motivation there. Well, that's what they, that they do say. If they want to learn something really well, teach it. Contrary to what floats around, they, they like to say with the people who can't do it, teach it. Sure. Um, but there's no real truth to that. Um, that's just... The, the rhetoric that goes around a, you know, unless you have um, no desire to for, for improvement, if you teach the stuff, you have to know it. And that's why I got the passion for teaching. And I still have it, even though I don't run a dojo anymore. I still have that passion for doing that. Why, why did you uh, start training beyond your read art and explore other arts and systems? I had a, an incident in, uh, I'd say maybe 1996. I could be wrong on that date. It might have been 95. It was at Christmas time. And I ran into, like, this, the, the art I learned because of the Taekwondo influence was very sport-oriented. And I ran into a guy downtown Windsor, behind the Windsor Public Library, that I could not have handled on the best of days. And he was um, dangerous. He was out to do harm. And I was standing on ice, and I realized all my my skills were like skills. 
And while on a good day, I could have kicked him in the head. He was about six, six. Um, I was going to die if he got a hold of me and, and wanted to hurt me. There was nothing I'd be able to do against him. And I, by that point in time, I was third degree black belt. And I realized that, you know, everything I know is sport related and I need to know more. So I started to look. So which other arts did you explore and learn from and uh, earn your black belt and add into the system that you created? Well, the first thing that came about was the cane system. And that was because when I left my teacher, I reached out to other um, federations because I did want to continue to pursue my education. And I did want more rank because I knew I needed that for operating school. Because if I was stuck at fourth degree black belt at that point in time, if I didn't progress, I can only teach up to second degree black belt, really, or third. And so I'm, I'm, I'm stifling my student potential. So uh, my oldest boy, um, there was an incident with my mom in a chapter's bookstore in Windsor in which a guy kicked her cane out from underneath him, underneath her. Now, fortunately, she wasn't injured, but uh, he decided to look into cane masters because he felt that cane defense would be a very good thing to add to the system. And then because of that, I ended up meeting a gentleman out of Toronto, another very controversial man by the name of Richard Buchan, Hanshi Richard Buchan or Shidoshi Richard Buchan, whichever title you want to use with him. Uh, amazing martial artist. And uh, we started to study uh, Koshoru with him. Now, you have to qualify that because we were studying a specific aspect of Koshoru, not the entire art. We were studying octagon movement, which has been long since forgotten. It's been forgotten since Matosi died, basically, James Matosi. And he had learned it from a gentleman by the name of Bruce Chutnik in the United States. And he shared this knowledge with us, and it changed the way we did everything. Um, I ended up uh, getting a third-degree black belt in that, and I didn't pursue it any further because I didn't really need to uh, because it was time for me to adapt it to what I was doing, not go and study another martial art. Take the principles and the theories and apply it to what you're doing. Otherwise... You know, what I've done for 16, 20 years before that was a waste. And then uh, I got involved with um, pressure points, Kyushu Jitsu, and um, that was what I studied the most with the heaviest passion was that because the octagon made that work better than it worked by itself, and all that was incorporated. And I studied that with Grandmaster Steve Stewart. I made a six-degree black belt in that. I turned down a seventh because uh, I wasn't – I didn't – there was politics involved in that seventh, and I wasn't interested in the politics, nor do I, I still to this day believe I need the seventh. If Steve offered it to me, I would take it, but it doesn't matter because um, he was the best martial arts teacher I've ever known. Um, Steve Stewart is one of the most amazing people I've ever known, and I'm very grateful to him for his incredible dedication to my education. He went above and beyond anything he ever needed to do as a martial arts teacher to help me get where I am today with that. So my next two questions, you might have already answered, but I'm going to ask them and see if the answer is going to be what you just said, if it's going to change. So is there a teacher that you learned the most from? Um, and who was that? That's hard to qualify. Uh, but I would, if I was going to, the short answer would be Steve Stewart. Okay. Um, I could also say that Buckin would fall into that. Um, he, he, very controversial man. Uh, but he's brilliant on the floor. Um, 
but I would have to lean towards Steve because okay. the thing about Steve Stewart was is that he was the best teacher I've ever met because he made you ask him questions. He made you he made you think. He would drop something in your ear and walk away, and you're going, "What? Figure it out." <laughs> right? That's what made him the way he is. And I know not everybody saw that because it depended on what your response was to what he was doing as yes. to how he treated you. So of your teachers, of all the amazing teachers you've had in the martial arts, who's had the biggest influence on you? Uh, Philip Paulhan drove me to always get better, to push myself. He taught me to push myself. So I would say that without him, none of it would have been possible. Okay. Because I would not have asked the questions of Steve. I would not have been the sponge if it hadn't been for Philip. You had to learn and become better. Yeah. Because he was very, he was brutal, but he was very, he was great at inspiring you. And talk about a fantastic friend. And what was interesting is you've got to maintain that student-teacher relationship. Yes, sir. Otherwise you stop learning. Recording right now. One second, sir. Oh, no, you're good. go ahead, sir. He would say at times to me, "Oh, you can just call me Philip." No, I can't. It'd be like calling my dad Art. You know, like yeah, I, I you agree. mean too much to me. And I outrank him by four dance, four dance today that I'm aware of. He may have that may have changed because he totally lost interest in pursuit of rank. Um, but he's still my teacher. It doesn't matter. He is my teacher. He is, will always be sir to me. That was like, that was like his first name. So I would, I would have to say him, but it's, it's the inspiration to, he made me ready for guys like Steve Stewart. That's good. I like that. How, how do you think martial arts has changed and that the training has changed since you started training? It's gone right down the toilet. Now, not everybody. And the reason that I say that is today it's physically focused. Right? And the physical is definitely a part of it, but it's not the whole thing. You're not if you're not making the body mind connection, you're only going to get so good. Because it's body, mind, then spirit. And this is why you oh rank doesn't matter. Yes, it does. It matters because it's an identifier, an internal identifier. For for my system at fourth degree black belt, you have become a master of the physical, whatever that means. It doesn't matter what that means. I'm assuming that if I look at somebody with a fourth degree black belt, I'm not going to stump them on a physical technique. And then after that, they start to make the mental connection. And when they make the mental connection, you see the fireworks in their eyes. And that's when rank actually starts really not mattering as fourth degree. After fourth, who cares? And then at seventh degree, you're considered to be the grandmaster level. But I view grandmaster like the term godfather. If you're not a grandfather, you're not a grandmaster. <laughs> so I have my both of my boys have the rank for grandmaster because uh, they're both seventh degree black belts in the root art. And we're talking about people in their 30s and almost 40 who have had spent all their, since they were four in the in the arts. And we're talking full time here. I mean, they never they didn't play soccer. They didn't play hockey. They didn't do school activities. All they did was train. And, but they're, as long as I'm alive, they won't be because it can only be one. 
but they do have the rank for it. So the title is actually appropriate. They just wouldn't use it. What would you say are the benefits of martial arts training, sir? Short-term or long-term? Both. Short-term um, health. Forget, for injuries are injuries. injuries. Injuries will not kill you. Well, that's not true, but you know what I mean. <laughs> you, you, you break a wrist, the world's not going to end. Um, if you're in sport, heavily involved in sport, uh, the risks are far higher, and that's all concussion. Or overtraining and having heart problems and lung problems. But yes. you're getting into a, a being no longer being centered. You're getting into obsessive behavior. Um, it opens your eyes to the way the world really is if you do it properly. You start to see things that other people don't see. You understand things other people don't understand. And you develop a thirst for understanding them. <laughs> It's not like you have, like, because you trained in martial arts, you understand the world today. No, but you start to ask questions where other people just accept things. You no longer have the ability to accept what you're being told. Because if you've got a really good teacher and you spend your first year with them, and you tell it turns around and goes, by the way, we're doing this all wrong. Now you got to do it this way. And you're like, but I just spent a year doing this. Yeah, forget that. Do it this way now. Um, you start to understand that. Um, the world's not what it appears to be, and maybe it's time to ask some questions about it. Good, good. So what would you say are the truths, the inner truths, in brutal, brutal training? It's a great question. Um, I would say at this point um, in my life, you have searched or are searching for the inner truth of exactly who you are and you get to understand that and then you realize after you understand that you have no clue what you're talking about and it's the coolest feeling in the world right other people start to look at you like you're some brilliant mind that knows all and in actuality you you're lucky if you can tell your ass from a hole in the ground but you're aware of that, and all you can really do is hope to give people information so that they will look inside for their own answers, because my answer is not going to be the same as your answers, hey. even though there is a universal answer, but we don't get to see that while we're here. And I think that's one of, one of the, the benefits that you receive from training with your energy master, Master Chi, because she always taught you and how you look within yourself she didn't give you the answer now i didn't bring her up because she's not a martial artist i know that's but, the only reason i didn't bring her up is that but you gotta, gotta add the energy to it yeah. too uh, well that is um what keeps us going and that is the that is the when you start that is when you when you hit the mind development you start to understand that because then you get the thirst to going well what does this have to do with the eternal universe and that's all beyond this the stuff? physical yeah. And she, I got a very early look because I was um, 1989. I was assistant second degree black belt. Okay. So, I mean, I hadn't been in the martial arts that long when I met her. And she, she was, um, <laughs> she was the enigma in my life. Uh, so speaking about Master Che, your, your Korean energy master, 
something I've always kind of thought from what you showed over the years is that I think you were more or less her, her protege yes. among the students here. 100%. Um, incredible human being, gifted beyond imagination, compassionate, loving, caring. Um, even when she was being a total bitch, she was still a sweetheart. Um, she would never ask you to do something you couldn't do. And that's what the most frustrating thing was, is if she told you to do something, you knew you could do it. And it used to just drive you crazy because you didn't necessarily want to do it, but you couldn't use the excuse you couldn't do it because you could. It was a, that was a love, hate, love relationship. Was it? Yeah. You re you loved her to death. You really wanted to hate her, but you couldn't. <laughs> because she was just doing so much good. Uh, I learned a lot of things I wasn't ready for. I didn't... That's uh, interesting. Didn't... A lot of it clicked when I came for a visit to Canada. Uh, a lot of it came back to me. That's interesting. And that was the times that... It was, I was to happen. I was doing something I really didn't want to do. Because in all honesty, I'd rather be shot in the face than come and be in Canada. Yeah. And um, that's why I left. But um, it was also, I started to understand that anybody who tells you they have, any spiritual teacher who tells you they have the answers are liars. And there's lots of them out there. Uh, all If you're a true spiritual teacher, all you got is questions. <laughs> because when you have an answer, it causes you to have another question. Mm -hmm. True. And um, I realized irrevocably that everything happens for a reason. And because you doesn't don't like it, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. True. Okay, so my next question for you, sir, is what are the levels of mastery in Vito? Master of the physical, master of the mental, and then student of the spiritual. <laughs> I like that. Because you don't master the spiritual. You master the spiritual when you're dead. Yeah, when I was training in Yoshinkai um, Aikido, the thought for, for rank was you didn't go higher than ninth, and then when you, your when your physical body dies, then you get your tenth. I like that myself. I I hate the fact that we have tenth ends. Um, and it's not because I don't think these people deserve their recognition. It's just that I kind of like that number be a promotion being for when you die. Put it on your tombstone, you yeah, know, if you're gonna have one. Agreed. You know, 10th Dan Black Belt in life or something. I don't know. And I think going along with that, it, it, having a stop at 9th shows that there's something more to learn. There's more evolution and growing to happen. You don't stop growing. No. I mean, I'm... Uh, <laughs> I'll toot my own horn here. Please do, sir. I'm a gifted showman. True. Nobody can sling it like I can. I can, I could, I can stand in front of a stadium of people entertain them. It doesn't make me nervous or I can do it to one person. Um, that was a gift that I was given to communicate with people and make them think. Um, we had, a, I had a, a, a discussion with a guy a few weeks ago over the current situation today and without getting into the politics of the situation, because it is a political situation. I just asked him one question uh, to make him think. And that question was, why would you trust your health to people that are making money off of you being sick? True. And he just looked at me and he, his eyes glazed over 
And he changed the subject. We started talking about hockey. Because at that point in time, the Montreal Canadiens were in the cup finals. And uh, But I know by the look on his face that he's going to start to think about that. And then maybe he'll take charge of his own health. Which is important. Right? Because you are responsible for your health. Not the yes. government, not your doctor. Exactly. You are responsible. Whatever your belief in the system is, is your belief. And that's fine. But you've, that's a question you've got to ask yourself. Very true. Okay, excuse me, doctor, so-and-so. Why are you writing me this prescription? What's in this? What are the side effects? Not thank you and running to the pharmacy. Because, you know, even I go out and I buy something. Like when I go into town in Brashov to pick up something, um, I know what's in the product. I look for as much real food as I can get. Now, there it's easier to get that than it is in, in North America. But, you know, you start to take charge of, of everything in your life like that. It's more work, and people don't want that. But I think martial arts training gets to the point where maybe they will want that. I definitely hope so. Uh, what would you say are the spiritual aspects of martial arts training? Mastery of the body. You start to hear what your body says to you. And people don't. True. Um, because you, if you master the physical, the rest of it comes, you know, um, if you look at what has been done to the Western culture, when it comes to body weight, there's only one cause of obesity that is, that it can be acknowledged today. 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 70 years ago, you could say, well, the person has a thyroid problem Mm. today. You're eating too much of the wrong things and you're not moving. How are you supposed to have a spiritual journey if your body's unhealthy? Um, exactly. We all have our our physical, everybody, you get to a certain age, the body starts to deteriorate, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, I'll boast again. I'm 61. I got lots of gray hair, but I don't get up in the middle of the night to pee. There's not many people, men at 61 who can say that because Agreed. they have deteriorated that particular... They could have perfectly good health, but the bladder is starting to show signs of wear and tear. That can be changed. But you have to be willing to do the work to change that. Yes, sir. Now, my, my uh, karma... <laughs> He's efficient. My yes. karma for sport is the loss of vision of one eye maybe someday the the real medical system will be able to fix that if not i'm good with it it's just the way it is but i think that all everything spiritual starts in the body and then the mental understanding of how things work i agree with what you said and i think that too many people have a lack of connection and awareness of the body never mind understanding it I make sure I know everything that's going on in my body at all the times. And it's the point I don't even think about it anymore. That's important. Like my hips were sore the other day. I knew exactly why. It was the way I was sitting in a chair. And by the next morning it was fine. Because I could identify it and correct the position. The muscles relax exactly. and everything's okay. Let's talk about the martial art you, you created. Uh, why did you create 
and electric martial, martial art. I wanted to find a real self-defense solution for the average person. Because martial arts is supposed to be timeless. You're supposed to get better with age. And if you look at some of the uh, like great fighters that there are today, and I can't name very many of them. Well, Randy Couture pops to my mind. He was an MMA fighter and a martial artist. Um, I don't know, never met Randy. He was awesome in The Expendables. He played the guy with the cauliflower ear. Yeah. He, I, I think of like uh, Kay Fox and I think of Shani uh, Thurio from Quebec and um, there's a couple from the States I'm trying to think of right now. Um, Those guys I don't know. It, 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 was, it was going, you know, we can call him Karen because Shani Thurio, he's been I met him once in uh, France and then Quebec, and he was he's teaching, but he wasn't um, really competing anymore. Well, uh, one that pops to my mind that more people might really know is Ronda Rousey. Okay. Ronda is probably the greatest female MMA fighter to date. And uh, I've heard she's a sweetheart. I don't know. I've never met her. Um, a remarkable athlete, for sure remarkable athlete but when she's 50 can she still do the stuff she's doing today she should be better at it when she's 50 and if she isn't that means her training wasn't proper agreed and when when you said that in terms of the average person being able to have um, a sort of defense program that can work for them that can work for them as they get older they made me think of your teacher master hollahan gates he was a very gifted person physically there's yeah. things that he could do that the average person could not do yeah and he today i know he the last time i talked to him he was in a great amount of pain from the physical things he did as we all are but uh i know that his confidence isn't there today that it was before when he was younger and he should feel better about it but the original root art is is based on your physical prowess. It's not based on your knowledge of motion. Right, it's more based upon sports yeah. then. Yeah. So I don't know. I could be completely wrong as to where he is, but this right. is just my assumption. From it's been eleven years since we talked. So I. So speaking about training beyond your root art, what is your thought about people training beyond the root art and across training different systems, different martial arts? Get a solid foundation first. I, it, it, I mean, I encourage it wholeheartedly. Minimum, depending on where you are, of a second-degree black belt. Minimum. Now, that does depend on the person, of course, and the art, because some places yeah. you can get a second-degree black belt pretty fast. Like in, in American Kempo, it's, it takes forever to get to second-degree black belt, which is great. It doesn't take so long to get to fifth. Um, it doesn't really matter at that point. So much now with me, it takes four years to get to assistant black belt, and then a year after that to get to first, and then two more years to so that's yes, what seven years to get to second degree. Yes, You're sir. pretty much ready if you want to cross train, because uh, you have to have a solid foundation to work off of. That's why for me to learn kosho or these other things, because I've done small circle jujitsu and all sorts of stuff, it was easy. I understand motion, so you don't have to you don't have to train muscle memory. Because uh, you can adapt to things. But without the solid foundation, all you're doing is cross-training. You're not cross-learning. 
So why is the development of the mind so important? And why is it important in Buddha and in life? The mind is everything. There is nothing more important in the physical world than your mind. I don't mean your brain, your mind. Because your mind is the link between the body and the eternal. It is, it's, what key, it's what connects us to the eternal. And it's what connects us to the ground. And so, like, the, um, I've been through, I've been in some, some bad situations. And they've never caused me to have trauma. Because I think about things differently. Right? I've had a gun stuck in my face. I went home, I went back to the hotel I was at. I went to the bar, had a couple of drinks, talked to a friend, talked to my son, had a good laugh. And I went to sleep, slept like a baby that night because I was still here. I won. <laughs> right? There was no physical altercation because there didn't need to be. But it didn't, I didn't internalize it. I didn't compartmentalize it either. I just let it go. Which is really important because I know my, my younger sister, uh, when she had moved back to Edmonton some years ago, she was still working in 7-Eleven. She took a transfer out there. So she was working a night shift by herself. A guy came in with a gun, robbed her gunpoint and you know told her if you don't move fast enough i'm going to shoot you and my youngest sister is pretty much a scrappy tough person that messed her up for a while so she ended up you know leaving that job yeah well i remember when i was at uh maybe 14 we had a, a small house fire and i was it was a chimney fire and chimney fires can be really bad I didn't know that at that point in time, but I found out about it from the fire department. <laughs> but I was up on the roof of the house with a fire hose trying to get the water down the chimney. And my dad was down there because I was agile. Mm -hmm. right? So I said, no, dad, I'll go do it. So I climbed up on the roof and I'm up there. He got me the hose and I'm up there. And the fire department congratulating me on how cool I was about the whole thing. I'm thinking, it's not a big deal. It's just a fire. Right? But the fire chief who came out his words stuck in my mind and today if somebody asks me why stuff doesn't bother me i just tell them i'm not smart enough to be afraid and i don't i don't feel the same kind of fear but it's i've never met a situation i couldn't talk my way out of one day i'll be wrong maybe okay not <laughs> if if not if it is it's just destiny it's the way it is there's nothing i can do about it so i'm not going to worry about it and that's the that's what martial arts should give you is that peace i don't do stupid things exactly because stupid things have repercussions, but why worry about it? Now, what are some of your memories, experiences from training, teaching that you're happy with and that you might want to share to the listeners that, you know, hear some uh, fun old, old stories that you might have? My favorite times were when nothing went right. You know, it, those were the fun ones because you have to recover from those and still keep your composure. When you do something and it's a total bomb, like I can remember uh, doing a demonstration at Windsor Arena. There was a boxing match that night, and Windsor had some world-class boxer at that point. This was in the 90s, early 90s, and um, he was fighting that night, and we were asked to do a demonstration. So I, we get into this ring to do this demonstration and realize this is a freaking wrestling ring. It's not a boxing ring. There's way too much spring in it for a boxing ring because I've been in both. But uh, I was, uh, the the ex-wife beat the shit out of me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's now an R-rated podcast. The ex-wife beat me up, uh, which was normal. I didn't mind that. And there's nothing worse than 5,000 people cheering on a woman beating the snot out of a guy. 
that's painful. <laughs> but afterwards, I had to um, I had to do a board break. And I had to run from one turnbuckle corner to the other, and the guy was holding up board, and I had to jump up and spin and do a turn sidekick in the air, break the boards with two boards. It was no big deal. But the ring was bouncier. So when I jumped up to do it, I kicked Ryan in the mouth and knocked him out of the ring. <laughs> and everybody's standing up and they're applauding because I bowed because I just pretended it was part of the show. Mm -hmm. right? And I was supposed to miss and kick him in the mouth. And he's laying outside the ring half unconscious. Right? But it was those times actually when things, those were really memorable times. Or, um, But the, uh, the best part of teaching is when students surprise you. How so? Um, you underestimate them. And then they show you just how little you were paying attention. And you wait, you look and you go, where'd you come from? Is there a certain situation that comes to mind? Well, um, we had a, a kid uh, by the name of Dave Moore who was a great jumper. This guy had, this guy had, for somebody as short as he was, he would have made a great basketball player. Because he was only maybe 5'10". Uh, but this guy had the ability to spring up in the air like I'd never seen. So he was doing a black belt grading. I think it was the second degree. And my son asked him to do a scissors kick. Well, he'd never seen a scissors kick, let alone done one. So he was it, he told how to do it. Okay, you're going to jump off your right leg, twist and kick with your right leg, side kick with your left leg in the air simultaneously. So set the boards up for it. Dave ran across the ring. He jumped across the thing he jumped up in the air he missed and fell and he planted his face on the carpet and of course we're killing ourselves laughing he's got rug burns on his face from this thing <laughs> and then he gets up and he gets like 25 push-ups or something from my son and he goes back and the next time he does it now nobody expected he would do it period we gave it to him to fail him on that part of the test and he went and did it so here's a guy who uh, he's like 16 17 he's living so far beyond your expectations that it's just fantastic to see. The greatest reward I ever had in martial arts teaching was a girl by the name of Serena Maycock. And Serena came to me from child services as a teenager. And she was all kinds of messed up. She was goth, black makeup, black clothes, black everything. Right? She didn't talk. She looked down most of the time. I think she was with us for a year before... Um, she ended up changing foster homes, right? And I had no hope for her at all. Mm. And then in 2010, just after I got back from Romania, the first time I went, uh, I had an email from her because she saw on a blog post I'd done that uh, I was in Romania. And uh, she wrote me, she worked for the Bank of Commerce, and she was a loans officer. And she wrote me specifically to tell me, she says, I know you didn't think I was listening to what you were telling me, but I was. And it just it blew my mind. Because she was a totally well-adjusted, well-developed woman. And when I met her, she was 14. And I thought for sure she'd end up killing herself. That's how messed up she was. And here she is. She's got a life. She traveled. It's the reason that Romania caught her eye. She had a, a yogi, uh, a yoga guru that she oh. went to see in Bucharest. Oh, wow. Twice a year. Amazing. And so it was like, wow. You know, so, okay, she didn't do martial arts. She got into yoga. That's perfect. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about what is the student-teacher relationship and why is it important? It's not much different than the parent-child relationship. Except the child is smart enough to realize that the parent knows something they don't. That's why my mom was my mentor for life. 
Same with my kids. There was no more important figure in my children's life than their grandmother. And uh, same with me. Because she was the wisest person I ever knew. And it took me years to figure that out. But it was actually the martial arts that helped me to figure out the fact that she was the wisest person I ever knew. So what what advice would you have for um, teachers or students who want to cross the line, want to not have the respect for the teacher, want to call them by their first name as, as in, 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 instead of referring to them as teacher, sir, miss? They're customers. You have customers and you have students. I mean, I did it full time. I had to survive. I had customers too. They never learned anything, and it wasn't because I didn't want to teach them. Now, um, am I the greatest martial artist in the world? Far from it. But I know shit. <laughs> Whoops, there we go again. You know, um, and you're there to learn that. Uh, I, with my Kyushu students, because all I teach anymore is Kyushu primarily, uh, I have a challenge. Stump me. Ask me something I don't have an answer for. Please. I'm waiting. Someday some guy's going to answer me a question and I'm going to go, let me get back to you. <laughs> I don't know this. And then I'm going to start calling Steve going, hey, uh, sir, can you help me out with this? Because I'm lost on this one. Hasn't happened yet, but I want it to happen. Um, but you got customers. I can think of many customers we had. and Not very many students in the long run. Um, and in all honesty, it, it, you know, I mean, some people are born into bad households. But even in a bad household, there's a lot to learn. True. You can resent what happens or you can learn from it. That's very true, sir. So my final question for you, I think, sir, is what other systems martial arts did you train in and incorporate into the art that you created? Well, there was the cane system, thanks to Grandmaster Shuey. Anybody learn cane. <laughs> Everybody needs a cane. If you don't want to learn it from me, learn it from Shuey. Shuey's the best in the business. And I like Mark as a person. He's a good guy. Um, pressure points, obviously. Kyushu Jitsu, Steve Stewart. Uh, Dillman's retired now. Dillman's one of the most ridiculed martial artists in all of history. Uh, before you open your mouth about George, sit down and have a couple of beers with him and get to know him as a man, which I had the privilege of doing. He's an awesome human being. And I do mean awesome human being. But you have to know him. He's, he's been attacked so much he's a little bit protective. Uh, small Circle Jiu-Jitsu, Leon J uh, is the only one I know within that. Uh, the greatest respect for Grandmaster J. I never got to meet his dad. I wish I had. Uh, I never learned any modern Arnese from Remy Parisis. I've been friends with Ken Smith forever, who was a protege. Ken's brilliant martial artist. And with Arnese, it just was there wasn't enough time. But I did pick up some of his hand, his hand skills because the Arnese guys have got hands that are just amazing. Take the stick out of them and they're dangerous, you know, which is what I liked. Kosho, Ru, obviously, but that's hard to find. I don't. I know that uh, Shidoshi Bakken doesn't teach anymore. And I know that Bruce Jetnick doesn't teach Octagon much anymore. So I think you're stuck with me if you want that. I could be wrong, but I think you're stuck with me. Um, and well, Sistema. Even though it's a system, not a martial art, there's some systems to look that are good to look at. The smaller systems are the better, because they like. Uh, I don't know anything about Krav Maga, so I won't knock it, but it's huge. And being as big as it is, it doesn't interest me. Agreed. Now Bojuka, 
which was a, a, a self, uh, which was a, a combat system created by a man by the name of Tom Schrank, who's a, uh, a U.S. marshal. Excuse me, U.S. marshal. That's an interesting incorporation because you can learn things like uh, efficiency of movement and things like that from those systems. So, and and Sistema has, uh, um, well, there were no better commandos in the world than the Russians. So <laughs> you want to get some of that. Okay, I have to stand here and fight. That's some really good stuff to to, to grab. <coughs> There's probably other stuff in there. Um, I have no comment on Taekwondo. <laughs> yeah, it won't be acknowledged. <laughs> it doesn't exist. I have a fifth degree black belt in Taekwondo. I don't talk about it much. But the only reason I said I have a fifth degree black belt is I have the right not to talk about it. So. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> okay. Is there anything you wanted to say in closing, sir? Yeah. Get in the gym, get in the dojo or wherever it is you're going to do it and just train. Forget about everything else. Train. And when you're done training, train some more. There are no results without work. Yes, sir. We live in this illusion that everything is instant. It's a lie. That's why people are miserable. It's not worth having if you haven't worked your butt off for it. Right now, I'm working my butt off for something. But I know at the end of the day that the rewards are going to be well worth it. Yes, sir. So get in and train. All right. Thank you, sir. And thank you for coming on to you by the little Oh, thank you very podcast. much for the, the, the interview. I enjoy doing these. It's always fun. So again, thank you, sir. Thank you, oh, Katsunum Master Arch. Very welcome. Hello, so welcome to another edition of my podcast. I have a very uh, important, special guest with me today. This is my martial arts teacher, uh, long-term, long-time teacher, long-time friend, Katsunum Art Mason. So he teaches um, Lutic martial art of Hapkido that he created over the years with his sons, which I've been uh, honored to train it and, and learn from him. So we talked about um, a couple of weeks ago about doing a podcast just to talk about his art and be able to share more of it. So he's with me here now. So how are you doing, sir? Doing well. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to do these things. I enjoy them. What can I say? That's true. And you're always an excellent uh, speaker, sir. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so let's talk about, um, let's go into like what your background is, what your background in the martial arts is, sir. Well, I started uh, in formal martial arts training in, on November 10th, 1984, which is a lot longer ago than I'd like to remember. <laughs> I, I no longer say it's 30 some odd years. I'm just saying 40 now because it's close enough. Um. Uh, it was something I'd wanted to do since I was a child, but uh, just didn't have the resources to do it till I, I got a job at Chrysler in 1984, and I could afford to go do it, so I did. So you were about 22 or 24? 24. So? Yeah, 24. Um, before that, I boxed and I wrestled in high school. Uh, I was a good boxer. I was an average wrestler. Uh, but I always had a fascination with anything that had to do with martial arts or what was then considered to be sport martial arts. It's, of course, very different today. So let, let's, let's talk about your root martial art. What is your root martial art? The actual original thing that we learned was Kuksul Hapkido. Uh, but it was called Taekwondo. Because uh, our my first Grandmaster instructor, Grandmaster Chung Won Oh out of Kitchener, Ontario, was a Hapkido master 
who got involved in the uh, early 1970s wave of Taekwondo coming over when General Choi had defected to Canada from North Korea. And they were all friends and they formed the, uh, he was part of the forming of the International Taekwondo Federation and all that stuff. They had a falling out years later, but nothing else is new when it comes to the, the martial arts and falling outs. So True. So who were your teachers for your root art? Uh, Master Philip Hollihan. I spent 16 years with him. He was uh, Mr. O's protege, basically. Fantastic instructor, brilliant martial artist. Have the world of respect for the man. Uh, he was like a father to me in many ways, even though there wasn't that much difference between our ages. He was got maybe like six, seven years of, on me, something like that. Um, old world instructor. You know, it was all brutal training, and it was. I would never, I would never advise anybody to do it, but I would never, I don't regret doing it. So you say old school training. So for those who would not understand and know what old school training is, can you define that for us? Brutality. Um, we used to stand in a forward bow or a walking stance, whatever you want to call it, when we were doing foundations. And it was not uncommon for him to come over and punch you and they punch you unannounced in the gut to make sure that your body was rigid and tense and ready to go. Um, uh, he would uh, swing sticks at you when you were jumping. We had to jump tables, chairs, anything else. Just hardcore training. Uh, brutal on the body, lots of injuries, but you didn't miss class for injuries. You taped things up and you went to class. Uh, it was not the way that the Asian masters actually taught, but it was the way they believed that the Americans wanted to be taught, so that's the way they taught. The American GIs was very military-like rather than very, um, well, I don't even know how to, well, I don't even have words for it. It's taught differently in, in the real schools, for lack of a better word, in, in different parts of Asia. What can you share about your experiences coming up the ranks, training? It was a, quite a love-hate relationship, really. Uh, I refused to quit. Nothing was going to make me quit. Uh, I was a, a well-above-average hockey player, and I got sick of the BS in hockey, so I quit. Uh, I was a good boxer. I probably could have been a great boxer because I had a sense to it. Uh, I have Vance, my, my father and his brothers, well, I had a brother, an uncle who was a Golden Gloves fighter. Um, so, I mean, the, the ability to do it was there. But um, when it came to boxing, I suffered from something I call Jerry Quarry syndrome. Jerry Quarry was a 60s, early 70s fighter who was either great or stunk. And that was me. If I wasn't in the mood, it didn't go well. Uh, so boxing, I, I ended up quitting boxing. I stopped playing hockey, but I decided when I got into martial arts, I was going to be a black belt. And that was all there was to it. So I refused to quit. Let's, ask, let's talk about your teaching. So what made you decide to teach? Because you went from um, being a student to teaching at a... Um, you were like, I think Assistant Black Belt when you started teaching, weren't you? No, I was actually a Green Belt. Green Belt. Uh, I had my first school at Assistant Black Belt. That's what I'm thinking of, yeah. Um, I had, uh, just after I turned Green Belt, uh, Master Philip made me uh, do the warm-ups. And I discovered very quickly that was the best I ever did doing the warm-ups was when I had to call them out. And I was being corrected as to how I was doing the call-out, of course. 
And then I, like, I stretched further, I pushed harder, and then I started to realize that, it, you know, if I was helping out in the school, I would be better myself for doing it. So when he asked me if I would go out to uh, LaSalle, Ontario to help with help the black belt out there with that branch school, I jumped at it because I knew I would get better because of it. And it was just purely selfish motivation there. Well, that's, that's what they, that they do say. If they want to learn something really well, teach it. Contrary to what floats around, they, they like to say with the people who can't do it, teach it. Sure. Um, but there's no real truth to that. Um, that's just... The, the rhetoric that goes around a, you know, unless you have um, no desire to Im- for, for improvement, if you teach the stuff, you have to know it. And that's why I got the passion for teaching. And I still have it, even though I don't run a dojo anymore. I still have that passion for doing that. Why, why did you uh, start training beyond your root art and explore other arts and systems? I had a, an incident in, uh, I'd say maybe 1996. I could be wrong on that date. It might have been 95. It was at Christmas time. And I ran into, like, this, the, the art I learned because of the Taekwondo influence was very sport-oriented. And I ran into a guy downtown Windsor, behind the Windsor Public Library, that I could not have handled on the best of days. And he was um, dangerous. He was out to do harm. And I was standing on ice, and I realized all my my skills were like skills. And while on a good day I could have kicked him in the head, he was about six six. Um, I was going to die if he got a hold of me, and and wanted to hurt me. There was nothing I'd be able to do against him. And I, by that point in time, I was third degree black belt, and I realized that you know everything I know is sport related, and I need to know more. So I started to look. So which other arts did you explore and learn from and uh, earn your black belt and add into the system that you created? Well, the first thing that came about was the cane system. And that was because when I left my teacher, I reached out to other um, federations because I did want to continue to pursue my education. And I did want more rank because I knew I needed that for operating school. Because if I was stuck at fourth degree black belt at that point in time, if I didn't progress, I can only teach up to second degree black belt, really, or third. And so I'm, I'm, I'm stifling my student potential. So uh, my oldest boy, um, there was an incident with my mom in a chapter's bookstore in Windsor in which a guy kicked her cane out from underneath him, underneath her. Now, fortunately, she wasn't injured, but uh, he decided to look into cane masters because he felt that cane defense would be a very good thing to add to the system. And then because of that, I ended up meeting a gentleman out of Toronto, another very controversial man by the name of Richard Buchan, Hanshi Richard Buchan, or Shidoshi Richard Buchan, whichever title you want to use with him. Uh, amazing martial artist. And uh, we started to study uh, Koshiru with him. Now, you have to qualify that because we were studying a specific aspect of Koshoru, not the entire art. We were studying octagon movement, which has been long since forgotten. It's been forgotten since Matosi died, basically, James Matosi. And he had learned it from a gentleman by the name of Bruce Jutnick in the United States. And he shared this knowledge with us, and it changed the way we did everything. Um, I ended up uh, getting a third-degree black belt in that. And I didn't pursue it any further because 
I didn't really need to uh, because it was time for me to adapt it to what I was doing, not go and study another martial art. Take the principles and the theories and apply it to what you're doing. Otherwise, you know, what I've done for 16, 20 years before that was a waste. And then uh, I got involved with uh, pressure points, Kyushu Jitsu, and um, that was what I studied the most with the heaviest passion was that because the octagon made that work better than it worked by itself. And all that was incorporated. And I studied that with Grandmaster Steve Stewart. I made a sixth degree black belt in that. I turned down a seventh because uh, I wasn't, I didn't, there was politics involved in that seventh and I wasn't interested in the politics, nor do I, I still to this day believe I need the seventh. If Steve offered it to me, I would take it, but it doesn't matter because um, he was the best martial arts teacher I've ever known. Um, Steve Stewart is one of the most amazing people I've ever known. And I'm very grateful to him for his incredible dedication to my education. He went above and beyond anything he ever needed to do as a martial arts teacher to help me get where I am today with that. So my next two questions you might have already answered, but I'm going to ask them and see if the answer is going to be what you just said, if it's going to change. So is there a teacher that you learned the most from? Um, and who was that? That's hard to qualify. Uh, but I would, if I was going to, the short answer would be Steve Stewart. Okay. Um, I could also say that Buckin would fall into that. Um, he, he, very controversial man, uh, but he's brilliant on the floor. Um, but I would have to lean towards Steve because okay. the thing about Steve Stewart was is that he was the best teacher I've ever met because he made you ask him questions. He made, you, he made you think. He would drop something in your ear and walk away, and you're going, what? Figure it out. Right, that's what made him the way he is. And I know not everybody saw that because it depended on what your response was to what he was doing as yes. to how he treated you. So of your teachers, of all the amazing teachers you've had in the martial arts, who's had the biggest influence on you? Uh, Philip Hallahan drove me to always get better, to push myself. He taught me to push myself. So I would say that without him, none of it would have been possible. Okay. That's a good because answer. I would not have asked the questions of Steve. I would not have been the sponge if it hadn't been for Philip. You had um, to learn and become better. Yeah. Because he was very, he was brutal, but he was very, he was great at inspiring you. And talk about a fantastic friend. And what was interesting is you've got to maintain that student-teacher relationship. Yes, sir. Otherwise, you stop learning. Recording right now. One second, sir. Oh, go ahead, sir. He would say at times to me, "Oh, you can just call me Philip." No, I can't. It'd be like calling my dad Art. You know, like. No, I. I you mean too much to me. And I outrank him by four dans, four dans today that I'm aware of. He may have that may have changed, because he totally lost interest in pursuit of rank. Um, but he's still my teacher. It doesn't matter. He is my teacher. He is, will always be sir to me. That was like, that was like his first name. So I would, I would have to say him, but it's, it's the inspiration to, he made me ready for guys like Steve Stewart. That's good. I like that. How, how do you think Mars Arts has changed and that the training has changed since you started training? It's gone right down the toilet.
Now, not everybody. And the reason that I say that is today it's physically focused. Right? And the physical is definitely a part of it, but it's not the whole thing. You're not if you're not making the body mind connection, you're only going to get so good. Because it's body, mind, then spirit. And this is why you oh rank doesn't matter. Yes, it does. It matters because it's an identifier, an internal identifier. For for my system at fourth degree black belt, you have become a master of the physical, whatever that means. It doesn't matter what that means. I'm assuming that if I look at somebody with a fourth degree black belt, I'm not going to stump them on a physical technique. And then after that, they start to make the mental connection. And when they make the mental connection, you see the fireworks in their eyes. And that's when rank actually starts really not mattering as fourth degree. After fourth, who cares? And then at seventh degree, you're considered to be the grandmaster level. But I view grandmaster like the term godfather. If you're not a grandfather, you're not a grandmaster. <laughs> so I have my both of my boys have the rank for grandmaster because uh, they're both seventh degree black belts in the root art. And we're talking about people in their 30s and almost 40 who have had spent all their, since they were four in the in the arts. And we're talking full time here. I mean, they never they didn't play soccer. They didn't play hockey. They didn't do school activities. All they did was train. And but they're as long as I'm alive, they won't be. Because it can only be one, but they do have the rank for it. So the title is actually appropriate. They just wouldn't use it. What would you say are the benefits of martial arts training, sir? Short term or long term? Both. Short term um, health. Forget, for injuries are injuries. injuries. Injuries will not kill you. Well, that's not true, but you know what I mean. <laughs> you, you you break a wrist, the world's not going to end. Um, if you're in sport, heavily involved in sport, uh, the risks are far higher, and that's all concussion. Or overtraining and having heart problems and lung problems. But yes. you're getting into a, a being no longer being centered. You're getting into obsessive behavior. Um, it opens your eyes to the way the world really is. If you do it properly, you start to see things that other people don't see. You understand things other people don't understand and you develop a thirst for understanding them. <laughs> it's not like you have like, because you're trained in martial arts, you understand the world today. No, but you start to ask questions where other people just accept things. You no longer have the ability to accept what you're being told because if you've got a really good teacher and you spend the first year with them, and he tell, turns around and goes, by the way, we're doing this all wrong. Now you got to do it this way. And you're like, but I just spent a year doing this. Yeah, forget that. Do it this way now. Um, you start to understand that um, the world's not what it appears to be. And maybe it's time to ask some questions about it. Good, good. So what would you say are the truths, the inner truths in brutal, brutal training? It's a great question. Um, I would say at this point um, in my life, you have searched or are searching for the inner truth of exactly who you are. And you get to understand that. And then you realize after you understand that you have no clue what you're talking about.
and it's the coolest feeling in the world. Right? Other people start to look at you like you're some brilliant mind that knows all. And in actuality, you, you're lucky if you can tell your ass from a hole in the ground. But you're aware of that. And all you can really do is hope to give people information so that they will look inside for their own answers. Because my answer is not going to be the same as your answers. Hey. Even though there is a universal answer. But we don't get to see that while we're here. <laughs> and I think that's one of, one of the, the benefits that you receive from training with your energy master, Master Chi. Because she always taught you and had you look within yourself. She didn't give you the answer. Now, I didn't bring her up because she's not a martial artist. I know. That's but, the only reason I didn't bring her up is that. But you gotta got to add the energy to it, yeah. too. Uh, well, that is um, what keeps us going. And that is the... That is the... When you start... That is when you... When you hit the mind development, you start to understand that because then you get the thirst to going, well, what does this have to do with the eternal universe? And That's all beyond the physical. Yeah. And she, I got a very early look because I was um, 1989. I was assistant second degree black belt. Okay. So, I mean, I hadn't been in the martial arts that long when I met her. And she, she was... Um, <laughs> She was the enigma in my life. Uh, so speaking about Master Che, your, your Korean energy master, something I've always kind of thought from what you shared over the years is that I think you were more or less her, her protege yes. among the students here. 100%. Um, incredible human being. Gifted beyond imagination. Compassionate, loving, caring. Um, even when she was being a total bitch, she was still a sweetheart. Um, she would never ask you to do something you couldn't do. And that's what the most frustrating thing was, is if she told you to do something, you knew you could do it. And it used to just drive you crazy because you didn't necessarily want to do it, but you couldn't use the excuse you couldn't do it because you could. It was a, that was a love, hate, love relationship. Was it? Yeah. You, re you loved her to death. You really wanted to hate her, but you couldn't <laughs> because she was just doing so much good. Uh, I learned a lot of things I wasn't ready for. I didn't. That's uh, interesting. Didn't. A lot of it clicked when I came for a visit to Canada. Uh, a lot of it came back to me. That's interesting. And that was the times that it was, I was to happen. I was doing something I really didn't want to do because in all honesty, I'd rather be shot in the face than come and be in Canada. Yeah. And um, that's why I left. But um, it was also, I started to understand that anybody who tells you they have, any spiritual teacher who tells you they have the answers are liars. And there's lots of them out there. Uh, all If you're a true spiritual teacher, all you got is questions. <laughs> because when you have an answer, it causes you to have another question. Mm -hmm. True. And um, I realized irrevocably that everything happens for a reason and because you doesn't don't like it it doesn't mean it's not going to happen true okay so my next question for you sir is what are the levels of mastery and veto master of the physical master of the mental and then student of the spiritual <laughs> i like that because you don't master the spiritual you master the spiritual when you're dead 
So I remember when I was training in Yoshinkai um, Aikido, the thought for, for rank was you didn't go higher than ninth, and then when you your when your physical body dies, then you get your tenth. I like that myself. I I hate the fact that we have tenth dance. Um, and it's not because I don't think these people deserve their recognition. It's just that I kind of like that number be a promotion being for when you die. Put it on your tombstone. You Agreed. know, if you're going to have one. Agreed. You know, 10th Dan Black Belt in life or something. I don't know. And I, I think going along with that, it, it, having a stop at 9th shows that there's something more to learn. There's more evolution and growing to happen. You don't stop growing. No. I mean, I'm... Uh, <laughs> I'll toot my own horn here. Please do, sir. I'm a gifted showman. True. Nobody can sling it like I can. I could, I could, I can stand in front of a stadium of people and entertain them. It doesn't make me nervous, or I can do it to one person. Um, that was a gift that I was given to communicate with people and make them think. Um, we had, a, I had a, a, a discussion with a guy a few weeks ago over the current situation today, and without getting into the politics of the situation, because it is a political situation, I just asked him one question. Uh, to make him think. And that question was, why would you trust your health to people that are making money off of you being sick? True. And he just looked at me and he, his eyes glazed over and he changed the subject. We started talking about hockey because at that point in time, the Montreal Canadiens were in the cup finals. And, uh, but I know by the look on his face that he's going to start to think about that. And then maybe he'll take charge of his own health. Which is important. Right? Because you are responsible for your health. Not the yes. government, not your doctor. Exactly. You are responsible. Whatever your belief in the system is, is your belief. And that's fine. But you've, that's a question you've got to ask yourself. Very okay, true. Excuse me, doctor, so-and-so. Why are you writing me this prescription? What's in this? What are the side effects? Not thank you and running to the pharmacy. Because, you know, even I go out and I buy something, like... When I go into town in Brashov to pick up something, um, I know what's in the product. I look for as much real food as I can get. Now, there it's easier to get that than it is in, in North America. But, you know, you start to take charge of, of everything in your life like that. It's more work, and people don't want that. But I think martial arts training gets to the point where maybe they will want that. I definitely hope so. Uh, what would you say are the spiritual aspects of martial arts training? Mastery of the body. You start to hear what your body says to you. And people don't. True. Um, because you, if you master the physical, the rest of it comes. You know, um, if you look at what has been done to the Western culture when it comes to body weight, there's only one cause of obesity that is... It, that it can be acknowledged today. 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 70 years ago, you could say, well, the person has a thyroid problem. Mm. Today, you're eating too much of the wrong things and you're not moving. How are you supposed to have a spiritual journey if your body's unhealthy? Um, exactly. We all have our, our physical, everybody, you get to a certain age, the body starts to deteriorate, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, I'll boast again. 
I'm 61. I got lots of gray hair, but I don't get up in the middle of the night to pee. There's not many people, men at 61 who can say that because Agreed. they have deteriorated that particular, they could have perfectly good health, but the bladder is starting to show signs of wear and tear. That can be changed, but you have to be willing to do the work to change that. Yes, sir. Now, my, my uh, karma, <laughs> he's efficient. My he's karma for sport is the loss of vision of one eye. Maybe someday the, the real medical system will be able to fix that. If not, I'm good with it. It's just the way it is. But I think that all everything spiritual starts in the body. And then the mental understanding of how things work. I agree with what you said. And I think that too many people have a lack of connection and awareness of the body. Never mind understanding it. I make sure I know everything that's going on in my body at all the times. And it's to the point I don't even think about it anymore. That's important. Like my hips were sore the other day. I knew exactly why. It was the way I was sitting in a chair. And by the next morning it was fine. Because I could identify it and correct the position. The muscles relax exactly. and everything's okay. Let's talk about the martial art you created. Uh, why did you create... Martial art. I wanted to find a real self-defense solution for the average person. Because martial arts is supposed to be timeless. You're supposed to get better with age. And if you look at some of the uh, like great fighters that there are today, and I can't name very many of them. Well, Randy Couture pops to my mind. He was an MMA fighter and a martial artist. Um, I don't know, never met Randy... He was awesome in the Expendables. He played the guy with the cauliflower ear. Yeah. He, I, I think of like uh, K-Fox and I think of Shanu uh, Thurio from Quebec. And um, there's a couple from the States I'm trying to think of right now. Um, Those guys I don't know. It's it, it it going, you know, you can call him Karen because Shanu Thurio, he's been... I met him once in uh, France and then Quebec, and he was he's teaching, but he wasn't um, really competing anymore. Well, uh, one that pops to my mind that more people might really know is Ronda Rousey. Okay. Ronda is probably the greatest female MMA fighter to date. And uh, I've heard she's a sweetheart. I don't know. I've never met her. Um, a remarkable athlete, for sure remarkable athlete but when she's 50 can she still do the stuff she's doing today she should be better at it when she's 50 and if she isn't that means her training wasn't proper agreed and when when you said that in terms of the average person being able to have um, a self-defense program that can work for them that can work for them as they get older they made me think of your teacher master hollahan because he was a very gifted person physically there's yeah. things that he could do that the average person could not do yeah and he today i know he the last time i talked to him he was in a great amount of pain from the physical things he did as we all are but i uh, i know that his confidence isn't there today that it was before when he was younger and he should feel better about it but 
the original root art is, is based on your physical prowess. It's not based on your knowledge of motion. Right, it's more based upon sports yeah. than... Yeah. So I don't know. I could be completely wrong as to where he is, but this right. is just my assumption from... It's been 11 years since we talked, so I... So speaking about training beyond your root art, what is your thought about people training beyond the root art and across training different systems, different martial arts? Get a solid foundation first. I, it, it, I mean, I encourage it wholeheartedly. Minimum, depending on where you are, of a second degree black belt. Minimum. Now that does depend on the person, of course, and the art, because some places you can get a second degree black belt pretty fast. Like in, in American Kempo, it's, it takes forever to get to second degree black belt, which is great. It doesn't take so long to get to fifth. Um, it doesn't really matter at that point so much. Now with me, it takes four years to get to assistant black belt, and then a year after that to get to first, and then two more years to, so that's yes, what, seven years to get to second degree. Yes, You're pretty much ready if you want to cross train. Because uh, you have to have a solid foundation to work off of. That's why for me to learn Kosho or these other things, because I've done small circle jiu-jitsu and all sorts of stuff, it was easy. I understand motion. So you don't have to, you don't have to train muscle memory because uh, you can adapt to things. But without the solid foundation, all you're doing is cross-training. You're not cross-learning. So why is the development of the mind so important? And why is it important in Budo and in life? The mind is everything. There is nothing more important in the physical world than your mind. I don't mean your brain, your mind. Because your mind is the link between the body and the eternal. It is, it's, what key, it's what connects us to the eternal, and it's what connects us to the ground. And so, like, the, um, I've been through, I've been in some, some bad situations, and they've never caused me to have trauma, because I think about things differently. Right? I've had a gun stuck in my face. I went home, I went back to the hotel I was at, I went to the bar, had a couple of drinks, talked to a friend, talked to my son, had a good laugh. And I went to sleep, slept like a baby that night because I was still here. I won. <laughs> right? There was no physical altercation because there didn't need to be. But it didn't, I didn't internalize it. I didn't compartmentalize it either. I just let it go. Which is really important because I know my, my younger sister... When uh, she had moved back to Edmonton some years ago, she was still working in Stem 11. She took a transfer out there. So she was working a night shift by herself. A guy came in with a gun, robbed her gunpoint, and, you know, told her, if you don't move fast enough, I'm going to shoot you. And my youngest sister is pretty much a scrappy, tough person that messed her up for a while, so she ended up, you know, leaving that job. Yeah. Well, I remember when I was at, uh, maybe 14, we had a, a small house fire. And I was, it was a chimney fire. And chimney fires can be really bad. I didn't know that at that point in time, but I found out about it from the fire department. <laughs> but I was up on the roof of the house with a fire hose trying to get the water down the chimney. And my dad was down there because I was agile. Mm -hmm. Right? So I know dad, I'll go do it. So I climbed up on the roof and I'm up there. He got me the hose and I'm up there. And the fire department congratulating me on how cool I was about the whole thing. I'm thinking, it's not a big deal. It's just a fire. Right? But the fire chief who came out his words stuck in my mind and today if somebody asks me why stuff doesn't bother me i just tell them i'm not smart enough to be afraid 
and I don't, I don't feel the same kind of fear, but it's, I've never met a situation I couldn't talk my way out of. One day I'll be wrong. Maybe. Hopefully not. (laughs) If, if not, if it is, it's just destiny. It's the way it is. There's nothing I can do about it. So I'm not going to worry about it. And that's the, that's what martial arts should give you is that piece. I don't do stupid things. Exactly. Because stupid things have repercussions, but why worry about it? So what are some of your memories, experiences from training, teaching that you're happy with and that you might want to share to the listeners that, you know, here's some uh, fun old, old stories that you might have? My favorite times were when nothing went right. You know, it, those were the fun ones because you have to recover from those and still keep your composure. When you do something and it's a total bomb. Like I can remember uh, doing a demonstration at Windsor Arena. There was a boxing match that night. And Windsor had some world-class boxer at that point. This was in the 90s, early 90s. And um, he was fighting that night. And we were asked to do a demonstration. So I, we get into this ring to do this demonstration. and realize this is a freaking wrestling ring. It's not a boxing ring. There's way too much spring in it for a boxing ring. Because I've been in both. But uh, I was, uh, the the ex-wife beat the shit out of me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's no an R-rated podcast. The ex-wife beat me up, uh, which was normal. I didn't mind that. And there's nothing worse than 5,000 people cheering on a woman beating the snot out of a guy. <laughs> That's painful. But afterwards, I had to, um, I had to do a board break. And I had to run from one turnbuckle corner to the other. And the guy was holding up board. And I had to jump up and spin and do a turn sidekick in the air break the boards or two boards is no big deal but the ring was bouncier so when i jumped up to do it i kicked ryan in the mouth and knocked him out of the ring <laughs> and everybody's standing up and they're applauding because i bowed because i just pretended it was part of the show mm-hmm. right and i was supposed to miss and kick him in the mouth and he's laying outside the ring half unconscious right but it was those times actually when things those were really memorable times or um but the, uh, the best part of teaching is when students surprise you how so? Um, you underestimate them. And then they show you just how little you were paying attention. And you wait, you look and you go, where'd you come from? Is there a certain situation that comes to mind? Well, um, we had a, a kid uh, by the name of Dave Moore who was a great jumper. This guy had, this guy had, for somebody as short as he was, he would have made a great basketball player. Because he was only maybe 5'10". Uh, but this guy had the ability to spring up in the air like I'd never seen. So he was doing a black belt grading. I think it was the second degree. And my son asked him to do a scissors kick. Well, he'd never seen a scissors kick, let alone done one. So he was it, he told how to do it. Okay, you're going to jump off your right leg, twist and kick with your right leg, side kick with your left leg in the air simultaneously. So set the boards up for it. And Dave ran across the ring. He jumped across the thing he jumped up in the air he missed and fell and he planted his face on the carpet and of course we're killing ourselves laughing he's got rug burns on his face from this thing <laughs> and then he gets up and he gets like 25 push-ups or something from my son and he goes back and the next time he does it now nobody expected he would do it period we gave it to him to fail him on that part of the test and he went and did it so here's a guy who uh, he's like 16 17 he's living so far beyond your expectations it's just fantastic to see. The greatest reward I ever had in martial arts teaching was a girl by the name of Serena Maycock. 
And Serena came to me from child services as a teenager. And she was all kinds of messed up. She was goth, black makeup, black clothes, black everything. Right? She didn't talk. She looked down most of the time. I think she was with us for a year before um, she ended up changing foster homes. Right? And I had no hope for her at all. Mm. And then in 2010, just after I got back from Romania, the first time I went, uh, I had an email from her because she saw on a blog post I'd done that uh, I was in Romania. And uh, she wrote me, she worked for the Bank of Commerce, and she was a loans officer. And she wrote me specifically to tell me, she says, I know you didn't think I was listening to what you were telling me, but I was. And it just, it blew my mind. Because awesome. she was a totally well-adjusted, well-developed woman. And when I met her, she was 14. And I thought for sure she ended up killing herself. That's how messed up she was. And here she is. She's got a life. She traveled. It's the reason that Romania caught her eye. She had a, a yogi, uh, a yoga guru that she oh. went to see in Bucharest. Oh, wow. Twice a year. Amazing. And so it was like, wow. You know, so okay, she didn't do martial arts. She got into yoga. That's perfect. <laughs> okay, I wanted to ask you about what is the student-teacher relationship and why is it important? It's no much different than the parent-child relationship. Except the child is smart enough to realize that the parent knows something they don't. That's why my mom was my mentor for life. Same with my kids. There was no more important figure in my children's life than their grandmother. And uh, same with me. Because she was the wisest person I ever knew. And it took me years to figure that out. But it was actually the martial arts that helped me to figure out the fact that she was the wisest person I ever knew. So what what advice would you have for um, teachers or students who want to cross the line, want to not have the respect for the teacher, want to call them by their first name as, as in, 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 instead of referring to them as teacher, sir, miss? They're customers. You have customers and you have students. I mean, I did it full time. I had to survive. I had customers too. They never learned anything and it wasn't because I didn't want to teach them. Now, um, am I the greatest martial artist in the world? Far from it. But I know shit. <laughs> Whoops, there we go again. You know, um, and you're there to learn that. Uh, I, with my Kyushu students, because all I teach anymore is Kyushu primarily, uh, I have a challenge. Stump me. Ask me something I don't have an answer for. Please. I'm waiting. Someday some guy's going to answer me a question and I'm going to go, let me get back to you. <laughs> I don't know this. And then I'm going to start calling Steve going, hey, uh, sir, can you help me out with this? Because I'm lost on this one. Hasn't happened yet, but I want it to happen. Um, but you got customers. I can think of many customers we had and not very many students in the long run. Um, and in all honesty, it, it, you know, I mean, some people are born into bad households. But even in a bad household, there's a lot to learn. True. You can resent what happens or you can learn from it. That's very true, sir. So my final question for you, I think, sir, is what other systems martial arts did you train in and incorporate into the art that you created? Well, there was the cane system, thanks to Grandmaster Shuey. Anybody learn cane. <laughs> Everybody needs a cane. If you don't want to learn from me, learn from Shuey. Shuey's the best in the business. And I like Mark as a person. He's a good guy. Um, pressure points, obviously. 
Kyushu Jitsu, uh, Steve Stewart. Uh, Dillman's retired now. Dillman is one of the most ridiculed martial artists in all of history. Uh, before you open your mouth about George, sit down and have a couple of beers with him and get to know him as a man, which I had the privilege of doing. He's an awesome human being. And I do mean awesome human being. But you have to know him. He's, he's been attacked so much, he's a little bit protective. Uh, small Circle Jiu-Jitsu. Leon J is the only one I know within that. Uh, the greatest respect for Grandmaster J. I never got to meet his dad. I wish I had. Uh, I never learned any modern Arnis from Remy Parisis. I've been friends with Ken Smith forever, who was a protege. Ken's brilliant martial artist. And with Arnis, it just was there wasn't enough time. But I did pick up some of his hand, his hand skills because the Arnis guys have got hands that are just amazing. Take the stick out of them and they're dangerous, <laughs> you know, which is what I liked. Kosho Ru, obviously, but that's hard to find. I don't. I know that uh, Shidoshi Bakken doesn't teach anymore. And I know that Bruce Jetnick doesn't teach Octagon much anymore. So I think you're stuck with me if you want that. I could be wrong, but I think you're stuck with me. Um, and like well, Sistema, even though it's a system, not a martial art, there's some systems to look that are good to look at. The smaller systems are the better. Because they, like, uh, I don't know anything about Krav Maga, so I won't knock it, but it's huge. And being as big as it is, it doesn't interest me. Agreed. Now, Bojuka, which was a, a, a self, uh, which was a, a combat system created by a man by the name of Tom Shrank, who's a, uh, a U.S. marshal. Excuse me, U.S. marshal. That's an interesting incorporation because you can learn things like uh, efficiency of movement and things like that from those systems. So, and and Sistema has. Uh, um, well, there were no better commandos in the world than the Russians. So <laughs> you want to get some of that. Okay, I have to stand here and fight. That's some really good stuff to to, to grab. <coughs> There's probably other stuff in there. Um, I have no comment on Taekwondo. <laughs> yeah, it won't be acknowledged. <laughs> it doesn't exist. I have a fifth-degree black belt in Taekwondo. I don't talk about it much. But the only reason I said I have a fifth-degree black belt is I have the right not to talk about it. So. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Okay. Is there anything you wanted to say in closing, sir? Yeah. Get in the gym, get in the dojo or wherever it is you're going to do it and just train. Forget about everything else. Train. And when you're done training, train some more. There are no results without work. Yes, sir. We live in this illusion that everything is instant. It's a lie. That's why people are miserable. It's not worth having if you haven't worked your butt off for it. Right now I'm working my butt off for something. But I know at the end of the day that the rewards are going to be well worth it. Yes, sir. So get in and train. All right. Thank you, sir. And thank you for coming on to you by the little Oh, thank you very podcast. much for the, the, the interview. I enjoy doing these. It's always fun. So again, thank you, sir. Thank you, oh, Katsunum Master Arch. Very welcome.